0: Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalky. Welcome to this week's Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. We have now put the 2020 college football season officially into the books. We can file this away into the annals of history because we are talking to you immediately after the college football playoff national championship game where... Alabama put on a clinic against Ohio State. And I know the guy who's here with me today, John Mitchell, is very happy to be seeing that. Uh, He is with us in all his post championship reverie. So I am really excited to be here with him as we promised you guys last week. Uh, So, yeah, John, uh, I just, uh, you know, before we go any further, how are you feeling in terms of your euphoria after this final result
1: man like I feel obviously I feel really good um it's obviously been a difficult year for every school to get through the fact that we even made it this far I think is a a surprise honestly I I, we talked a lot in the preseason about how difficult this season was going to be. And it was a difficult season to get here. But, man, I, I mean, I'm obviously in a, in a great mood. Uh, I, I, I adore this Alabama team for everything that they had to really fight through. The guys that came back for senior seasons when they, you know, pretty easily could have gone into the NFL draft last year. You know, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. Alex Leatherwood, guys, that you know could have been making a lot of money this season came back, and this makes this team really special, you know. So yeah, I mean, I'm in a, a great spot. I I'm surprised by the domination in this game, to be honest. I mean, I, I know you're not. You're the you're the one when we recorded the pre-championship podcast that said you thought that this is how this game was going to go. So I I yield to you in that. I I thought you were trying to give me a reverse jinx, but it, I mean, it turns out you were spot on, Zach.
0: Yeah, I guess Matt won't be paying up, will he? Uh, I, I won't be seeing him with that giant check tomorrow. So you're off the hook, Strobel. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, you know, despite what I said last week, I don't know that I even expected it to be quite this crazy. Uh, You know, Alabama puts up over 600 yards of offense in this game. They held Ohio State to, what, 341 in terms of their total output. Justin Fields was perfectly ordinary, you know, barely completing 50% of his passes. Um, We do have to acknowledge the fact, I think, that Trey Sermon got injured on his only carry of the game. It really reminded me a lot of uh, Ted Ginn Jr. when they played Florida back in in 08, I think it was, or 06, whichever one of those two games it was. But, you know, has the electric return and then gets injured. Um, obviously not exactly parallel, but I, I do think we need to uh, – at least recognize that that might have changed the dynamic a little bit, but at the same time, I don't think it would have changed it that much. You know, maybe this game is a touchdown closer, but I I still think Alabama was walking away with at least a twenty point victory, even if Sermon is allowed to play the or you know is able to play the entire game, doesn't go out with what looked like a collarbone injury. I, I don't think, you know, There there's no excuses. There's already so many asterisks on this season that, you know, that would be a ridiculous one to put on. But I also have to ask you, John, you know, we're going to do this in a couple of brief quick chunks, everybody, just so that we can, you know, work all the editing magic and splice everything in. And because, you know, we're tired after a long season. so. What was your favorite moment of this national championship game, John?
1: Honestly, from the fact that it really felt like it was the dagger in the game, and also from just a straight comedy standpoint, for those of you who listen to this podcast and happen to follow me on Twitter, it was that um, that touchdown right before the half, the 42-yard touchdown pass from Mac Jones to Devontae Smith, that made it thirty-five seventeen, Bama. Where, you know, Alabama lined Devonte Smith up in the slot, and honestly, Zach, this is probably the best game for Texas football in a long time. We'll get into more of that later because Steve Sarkisian obviously called a great game for Alabama offensively. But when he Devonte was lined up in the slot and got one-on-one matchup with Tough Borland who is a really good linebacker for Ohio State. I don't want to pick on him or anything, but it's an impossible task for a linebacker to keep one-on-one coverage with Devontae Smith. And when Mac delivered that throw, one-on-one coverage, Devontae in the slot makes the catch for the touchdown. It really felt like that was the dagger, Zach, especially with without getting the ball to start the, the third quarter. It just really felt like that was the play that really ended the national championship game.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was the Heisman winner's 12th catch of the first half. And, uh, you know, he didn't really even play in the second half. He was in street close by the third quarter. Uh, but just one half of play, 12 catches, 215 yards, three touchdowns. These are video game numbers. And he put them up on an Ohio State defense that had been really quite reputable for much of the season. So, you know, I, I think on one hand, it really just demonstrates how special a player he is and why he deserved to be the first receiver to win the Heisman since 1991. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, taking it beyond that, You know, it it shows the connection that he had with Mac Jones as well. You know, the big question coming into this year, Tua moves on to the NFL. Mac Jones is in. He has his chance to shine. Jones put up one more yard than Joe Burrow did in last year's national championship game. You know, Burrow was 31 of 49 for 463 yards and five touchdowns. Mac Jones went 36 of 45 for 464 and five touchdowns. Better completion rate, you know, one more yard, same number of touchdowns. This was a ridiculously efficient performance by Alabama's quarterback, and... You know, for all the talent that they're losing next year, including, as you mentioned, you know, offensive coordinator Steve Sarkisian. I, I think we, you know, we said for a while there it was almost like Oklahoma could just plug in a quarterback and play. It's starting to feel like that in Tuscaloosa as well, because Jones just came in and. You know, he put up numbers that make you wonder why he wasn't starting his entire career it's you know, in in some ways. So it it just shows on one hand the ridiculous glut of talent that Nick Saban and his staff continue to recruit there at Alabama. Um something I talked about in a recent uh Sunday morning quarterback article actually at at Saturday Blitz. So definitely do be sure to check that out because uh, you know, I, I think recruiting is becoming ever important in this game. We're seeing sort of the power sh- brokers of the sport consolidate around, you know, teams that can recruit really well. And even among those teams, Alabama consistently for the past decade plus has just been recruiting at a completely different level. A- and it showed because Ohio State has the kind of horses that can take down pretty much any other team, but when, you know, it comes to depth and losing one key player and just having the next man step up, nobody can do that quite like Bama can.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's been a an incredible run for for Alabama and it, it spoils you as a fan. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's been incredible. And, and I apologize because I attacked you at the end of the last podcast where I, you know, said you were trying to give me the old reverse jinx, but obviously, I mean, you, you really saw this game coming Zach. So, uh, I mean, and really shout out. Cause I, I mean, it, it looked to me like an evenly matched game coming in and I mean, you were pretty adamant more than I'd ever seen you about the tides chances in this game. So, you know, I, I, I just thought you were messing with me, but I mean, your, your analysis was, uh, obviously on point. Cause I mean, I really, I really think that this Alabama team was, just unbelievable. And I I think you get to a point as a fan, I think where you try to be maybe a little too unbiased about what you're seeing with your eyes, because, you know, you don't want to jinx it. You don't want to set yourself up for something, you know, happening. So, I mean, I I think obviously you were right on from the very beginning.
0: Well, thank you. I think it might be the first time that I've ever really just been totally spot on when we picked against this spread with one another. So, I'm going to take that as a victory, Uh, just as you get to take this as your victory. Let's take a quick break, everybody, and when we come back, we're going to dive in a little bit more about, you know, everything that happened in this championship game and where we go from here, so stay tuned. back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We're sitting here in the afterglow of John's uh, exuberance in the wake of Alabama's national championship victory. Uh, So for those of you listening on Wednesday morning, know that we are recording on Monday night, or I guess technically Tuesday morning now. Uh, At least in my time zone. Uh, So yeah, we're having a grand old time of this. And John is actually very happy with the results of this game. And hell, I actually picked successfully against the spread for a change. So I'm pretty happy about it as well. Uh, But you know... One question I had for you, John, and it's something that I was thinking about when I thought about the SEC previews that we, you know, when we were looking at the conference at the beginning of the year, you know, you you said, um, I didn't go back and listen to it, so I don't know the exact quote, but I remember you were really concerned, you know, was Alabama going to be able to keep their streak of double-digit win seasons going, Uh, just given the uncertainty about how many games teams would be able to play and whatnot. But they're 13-0 now. You know, finished 2020 as the only undefeated team in the country. Don't have any group of five teams that can claim that. You know, the only other teams that can claim that they were undefeated this year were Connecticut, Old Dominion, and New Mexico State, who didn't play football at all. But of, of the 127 teams that played, Alabama reigned supreme this year. So I have to ask you, where does this 13-0 Bama team stack up with Nick Saban's championship teams during his time in Tuscaloosa?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard for me to not, obviously, recency bias is going to play a major impact right now because of what I just saw. But to, it's hard to really argue against this being the best team in Nick Saban's run at Alabama, which is insane considering, you know, this is the sixth time they've won a national championship since Saban's been there since 2007. But, you know, this is only the second one of those championship teams that went undefeated throughout the season, you know, no losses. And when you really consider that there's no – Western Carolinas or Mercers on the schedule this year for Alabama not to disrespect those programs but you know obviously they're on a a step below Um, so I, I really think the fact that they played 10 games against nothing but conference opponents and the conference opponents they skipped were you know South Carolina and Vanderbilt who are two of the worst teams in the SEC this year and then went on to beat Notre Dame uh, resoundingly in the Walmart parking lot Rose Bowl at Jerry World and and then, you know, dominated a, a really good Ohio State team. You could tell the Ohio State team had a ton of talent uh, out there. So, I mean, and then just sentimental-wise, Zach, you know, when at the end of the game, you know, one of the best things about sports, particularly for guys like you and I who are, you know – English major backgrounds and that kind of stuff and, you know, love history and, you know, language, poetry, stuff like that. Those kind of poetic moments that happen in sports is one of the most pure feelings you can have as a fan and watching Landon Dickerson run out there for the last two snaps of the game, you know, less than two weeks or a little over two weeks since he had, surgery on his knee after tearing his ACL in the SEC championship game against Florida and seeing the enthusiasm on his face and him just like hopping in front of Nick Saban and begging to go out there and just to to take those snaps at the end of that game that just the poetic ending to the season for me makes it really hard to top I think because the team rallied around him and he was the leader and seeing him get out there at the end was just really one of my favorite moments I've seen. He picks Nick Saban up and rushes runs him across the field and, you know, and that kind of poetry I think is something that really makes sports great, particularly when you're a fan in that moment.
0: Yeah. You know, I definitely did want to make sure that we talked about that story because, you know, it, it was a, uh, a hell of a story, you know, hearing, a, you know, seeing him there in pregame and then, you know, getting to see that moment especially was huge. And honestly, you know, in a season where the big story was football that wasn't played as much as it was football that was played, that might be one of the few truly, you know, sort of iconic moments, you know, sort of snapshots in time that, actually get remembered 20 years from now. You know, I think that's the power of that moment. That's something that, you know, Bama fans are going to be talking about when when you're as gray and grizzled as my beard is now. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's... Uh, I, I do really like that. And I like that, you know, football does provide those moments it's a whole reason we continue watching this sport despite the fact that we know this certainly isn't the best thing for players health even before you put a pandemic into the discussion uh you know concussions cte um you know the fact that Trey Sermon broke his collarbone uh just you know kind of it, it, it on a fluke, you know those sorts of things kind of you know they they those twists and turns are what make the sport you know the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat um it's the reason that John is sitting here giddy and bubbly right now. it's the reason that Ohio state fans are you know wallowing in consolation beers it's it it, it it's it's it is, you know, that's the whole reason why anybody was thrilled about this season coming back. And, I, you know, I think at the same time, it's it's something I've been critiquing all year. We have to remember that, I mean, in August, the SEC said that, you know, some of you are going to get sick. Basically came on that phone call that we talked about on the podcast back then. Huh? What is that, five months ago at this point? And said, we know you're going to get sick. It will happen. No matter what we do, it, it will. And all 14 SEC schools had cases. Uh, 111 of 127 schools reported positive cases. Um, and, and so we have to ask the question, was this all worth it in the end? For a guy like John here who's celebrating a national championship, you know, the the end's definitely feel like they justify the means right now. And, it it you know, for whatever we say about this season, the Crimson Tide are going to go down as undisputed champions. It's going to be in the NCAA record book for 2020, and they will be the only team that go in. You know, they'll be the 34th, 35th team ever to win an undisputed national championship in... 151 years of college football. So it certainly isn't nothing that we got out of this season. But I think, you know, I think we, at the same time we need to be critical because SEC players, players from conferences all across the country came out and talked about how so much of this felt like, you know, basically playing the game to entertain guys who look like us, John, you know? A bunch of, uh, you know, pasty white guys who are watching black guys dance around for our edification. And it does have real moments. It has real bonding moments. And I'm not going to say that this is just a, a, a racial thing. But in light of what we saw last summer and in light of the fact that universities, you know, they did what they did and brought back football... And privilege football over every other fall sport, because that is the moneymaker. And these are the essential employees in the midst of a pandemic. I I, th- I just want to make sure that we keep that in focus. And of course, I've got to be the Debbie Downer here. That's what I do in the midst of, uh, you know, getting to celebrate. But I want to make sure that all of us out, uh, uh, you know, who love this game, do keep in mind... The very real struggles that went into making this season happen and the fact that you know we talk about you know people who talk about amateurism and talk about college football and talk about college and the college experience the fact that you get to go there on a grant and aid is sufficient payment and in a pandemic season where these players were locked into their rooms and getting swabs stuck up their nose all the time and eating you know uh alone and avoiding other people and not enjoying the college experience and oftentimes not even being in a classroom and if they were being socially distanced and masked and oftentimes not even being able to ask questions out loud having to use chat functions anyway on the computer these guys didn't get the payment they deserved you know even if you are going to consider that a college scholarship in the best of times and all of the attendant experiences that come with it are sufficient payment it certainly was not in the midst of a pandemic so for what we got out of this year for you know all the joy that people were able to get out of these fleeting moments of the college football season, I sure as hell hope that what we saw this year spurs us ever closer to real equity in the sport, because we certainly didn't get that out This year, And I'm not talking about the fact that it was Alabama and Ohio State playing one another again, and the fact that Clemson and Notre Dame were back in the field as well. You know, the usual suspects. That's not what I'm talking about. We need real equity where the athletes have, you know, not just the opportunity to make money off their name, image, and likeness, but they have a real seat at the table negotiating the conditions under which they work. Until we have that, I I mean, you know, if this season did anything, it made me even more jaded about the sport. And maybe, it, you know, maybe a bit more winning would have helped. But I don't know that it would have. So uh, keep that in mind, everybody. And now that I've put that dour note out there, I'm just going to say let's take one more quick break. And we will be right back to wrap up our look at the national championship I'm going to give you the downer stuff in this middle section, and, you know, like in Oreo, we can put the high notes on either side. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody, for our final episode wrapping up the 2020 college football season before we pivot into our offseason and uh, all of the attendant evergreen things that we get to talk about during that time. So we had a national championship game tonight. Uh, As we're talking to you all, I know you'll hear this on Wednesday or whenever you download this, but we're talking to you right after the national championship game. You know, I asked you were in the last segment where this Alabama team fits among Nick Saban's national championship winners. And, you know, I, I, I think part of what's so astounding about this team is that they had three guys in the top five of the Heisman voting. You know, the fact that they had this, you know, that they were the Cerberus of offenses, you know, just that three headed dog from hell that would, you know, could slice and dice you however the hell they wanted. So obviously, Smith won the Heisman Trophy. And after, t- you know, this performance in, you know, one half a play, frankly, this one half a play, if I was going to put that up against anything, um, You know, I would say this was the best bowl performance by an individual since Barry Sanders against my Wyoming Cowboys in the Holiday Bowl in 1988 after he won the Heisman. You know, he had five touchdowns in that game. Obviously Smith had three here, but receiver, running back, those are a couple of different things. I'd say, you know, just especially the fact that he did this in one half a play. You extrapolate this across a whole game. If Smith is out there against Ohio State the whole time, he probably comes away with 18 catches, has a fourth touchdown at the very least. You know, probably gets close to 300 yards. It's ridiculous. Um, So, yeah, you know, I think Barry Sanders is probably the best corollary of any bull performance we've seen. But, you know, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Um, I I think it was in the first segment when I was talking about Mac Jones a bit and comparing him to Joe Burrow last year. But, you know, I asked about the greatest championship teams. Mac Jones, is he the best quarterback that's won a championship at Alabama at this point? Where would you stack him up against, you know... Guys like Tua, where would you stack him up against the McHarrins of the world? All of these different guys across time.
1: Yeah, I think the two best quarterbacks of the Saban era have come really back to back to back, even with Jalen Hurts, followed by Tua Tungavailoa, and then Mac Jones. And I, I think Tua and Mac were pretty much on equal footing. I think they were very different players. I think Tua had the more raw talent but Mac was more, I guess, cerebral with the game. Uh, One of the things I always came back to when thinking about Tua and Mac was that Tua went out there and he wanted to throw a touchdown every time he dropped back to pass. Like he wanted to take the deep shot and score a touchdown every time he threw the football. And I mean, good reason why it's easy to see because more often than not, that's exactly what happened. But I think the difference is that Mac Jones didn't have that hubris that he felt like he had to throw a touchdown every time it was. uh, He's perfectly comfortable with checking the ball down to his running back or tight end and perfectly comfortable with just taking what the defense gives him, you know, not really trying to push the issue because he knows that, you know, he's got a good line, good running back. And, you know, he's going to have opportunities that present themselves throughout the game. So, Two vastly different players, obviously both having remarkable moments in championship games, respectively. So it's, re- it's really hard to compare. But I do think that they are probably, at least resume-wise, the two best that have come through uh, uh, under Saban with, with the way that the game has, has slanted more towards offense than it was defense at the beginning of the, of the era.
0: Who do you think steps into that mantle next year, John? Who 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 is the next, you know, of this back to back to back? Do we see another two back?
1: Yeah, I mean, Bryce Young is the highest rated quarterback recruit of the Saban era. So I mean, that's the I think that's the scary part. For the rest of college football, especially when you consider that uh, Alabama signed four of the top nine receivers in this 2021 recruiting class. So adding those guys with some of the guys that will be back next season, like John Mechie, Jaleel Billingsley, Slade Bolden, you know, uh, Xavier Williams, several guys who made an impact in the national championship game tonight, particularly on those really crucial third quarter drives that Alabama was able to score on after Devontae Smith went out with a dislocated finger Um, and Jalen Waddle obviously being a little bit um, hampered with his ankle injury from before. So, you know, I I really think that that's where it it comes down to next season is I think there's a lot of young talent that flashed in this game. And, And if Bryce Young lives up to the hype, I think he's got a chance to to really end up being, resume-wise, the best quarterback of the Saban era. He's that he's that kind of guy who a lot of people have doubted, I guess, because of size, but we've seen so many times in the last recent years that that means a lot less than it used to in translating to a good college quarterback, even an NFL quarterback with guys like Lamar Jackson, guys like um, Kyler Murray. So, you know, I really think that assuming that Matt goes pro, obviously he's got the opportunity to come back next season, but it's hard to see after, especially after tonight, what the real benefit, uh, particularly for a guy who already has his master's degree in three and a half years at Alabama, what the real benefit of coming back and playing more free football is over or over going to the pros. So I, I really think that Matt has submitted his legacy uh, really that guy who everybody really forgot about because he came in with Tua and Tua was the, the big name and the guy who made the instant impact. So, you know, uh, I, I, but I, I think Bryce has as much potential as anybody that Saban's ever recruited at the position.
0: Yeah, you know, it it, it is quite scary to see what's continuing to go on there in Tuscaloosa. Do you think that Alabama opens next year at number one, despite the players that they're losing?
1: Yeah, I think there's a a chance, but I also think it really depends on what happens because we've seen pretty much every team other than Alabama and Ohio State already have their, the guys who are going to declare for the NFL draft have already done so. Uh, but I think it really depends on who ends up declaring for the draft for Alabama, I think. Jalen Waddle's probably the most sure, him and Patrick Sertan are probably the most sure guys declaring for the draft, but I think it comes down to some of the other guys like Christian Barmore, for example, who was, I believe, the defensive MVP tonight, and he's a a redshirt sophomore who, for most of the year, most people have assumed was coming back for their uh, redshirt junior season season. And you know, based on the way they played tonight, Christian Barmore obviously could probably make the leap just based on the the things we saw against our really good Ohio State offensive line tonight. So I think the next couple of weeks are big. Probably even the next just week are are big in determining what Alabama is going to have returning. Because you know, one of the interesting things this year is that the NCAA is or adopted the. Three-year rule essentially for guys playing this year, so we're going to have some veteran teams next year who are uh, even retaining even more veteran talent because of of being able to come back for their seniors or second senior seasons. Even so, uh, I think next year is going to be really interesting, and it's going to be uh, for both for Alabama and Ohio State, depending on who ends up going pro early. Those are obviously two of the early names who you think is going to have. Uh, a legitimate shot at at competing for a national championship. Uh, Oklahoma comes to mind too with Spencer Rattler, the way he finished this season and going into next season. So uh, there's obviously some teams out there that can compete, but I don't think it'll be a surprise if either and or Alabama and Ohio State ends up in the playoff again next season.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the next verse will be the same as the first. It really does feel that way, the way we're watching the college football playoff going, because it's especially coming down, you know, increasingly to, as we talked about, how well these schools recruit. And the fact that, you know, you mentioned with Young, they're recruiting at an even higher rate than they already were. Uh, you know, than an already impossible standard that they were setting. And, you know, I in a lot of ways, teams like Alabama, other juggernauts we've seen in the past, oftentimes it feels like the only way that they're going to get beat is if they ultimately beat themselves. They take their foot off the gas, they lose their concentration at a moment. Obviously, those are the sort of things that you know, Nick Saban is trying to coach out of players entirely with his process. Um but you know, these are college kids. You can never entirely do that. Do you think Bama goes undefeated next year, John?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't I wouldn't profess to really make that call yet. I, I think it again depends on what they're looking like with, with guys coming back and what the next college football season even looks like it's still up in the air. If we're going to have a a normal college football season uh, in the fall of 2021, or if things are going to look more like this year than anybody really thinks really, depending on um, vaccine rollout and what happens in the next couple of months. So, you know, I, I, I don't know yet. I, I going undefeated is obviously difficult. We haven't seen that many, national champions recently finished with unblemished records we usually see a team end up winning it with one loss so you know I think it's difficult to really say right now depending on what happens in the coming weeks with with guys uh, moving on to other opportunities whether NFL transfer and what Alabama ends up doing replacing Steve Sarkisian who I think was, you know, obviously the Broyles award winner for the top assistant had a terrific season as a play caller and is moving on to Texas. Uh, And I think Longhorns fans have every reason to be really optimistic about the future there after what happened tonight and really all season for this Alabama offense. So, you know, I I really think there's a lot of variables still out there to, to make that call.
0: I think that's a fair point. And I, you know, I, I do commend you for tactfully kind of screwing that a little bit. I I did kind of throw you a bomb there and wanted to see uh, how lucid you still were, maybe. So, uh, way to go. You know, I, in general, though, I think we're looking at this, and I again, you know, I the types of teams like Alabama where they're just so stacked, these types of teams often, they're only going to lose if, if like, everything, you know, just all the cards aligned for their opponent. And I think we're going to see more of that next year. Just like you said, seeing Alabama and or Ohio State in that Final Four next year would be by no means a surprising development. Nobody who follows college football would be shocked by that. But, you know... I, I, I guess we continue to root for these things to happen so that maybe someday we see a a fleeting glimpse of, of some bit of chaos. We obviously got chaos in a completely different form in 2020 than we would normally expect. The chaos was mostly off the field rather than on the field. But, uh, you know... I, I We're just about wrapped up on time. I don't want to hold you for too long here, John. You know, I I want you to get back to being able to celebrate. So, you know, the last question I I guess I really need to ask is when you look back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, what is sort of the defining takeaway that you're going to have from the 2020 college football season?
1: Um, You know, I, I think perseverance is the first word that really comes to mind because this was you know a season unlike any of us have have ever seen and you know so many different things went wrong and and could have gone even worse over the course of the season so i think these um you know student athletes really pushing and wanting to play and then persevering through the most difficult season for any sport really that's playing right now the most difficult season we've ever gone through with everything else that's going on so you know I, I my big thing is i appreciate that and i don't take lightly the sacrifices that were made because of that but you know i talked about in our our pregame episode for the national title game how much personally this season has meant to me in being able to provide the really necessary distraction uh, to get through just normal life. So, you know, that's what I'll appreciate, you know, really for 20, 30 years, whatever, the rest of my life, and that this college football season and sports in general can really have, you know, such a positive impact on communities and people to provide a, a really big and and thankful distraction of the everyday world that we've been living in for the last year.
0: Certainly, you know, there. there's a reason we continue to talk to each other every week, despite, you know, a thousand miles of distance and a time zone away. And it really is the fact that this sport, I mean, we've been doing this for 13 years now, talking to one another about this sport. And it, it it's forged a lasting connection here, you know, that, that extended across... You know, a column at several different websites, and now into podcast form. So, we can't discount those real connections. And honestly, I'm right there with you. I'm. On one hand, I'm so glad to have this season in the rearview mirror, um, and that isn't just because you know, Oregon walked away as the Pac twelve quote unquote champion with three losses and a division championship that didn't exist Um, it isn't because Wyoming had a forgettable season or because Wisconsin didn't make it to a Big Ten championship game you know everybody like it, it it's been a real challenge I mean it's been that way for all of us it's obviously been that way for the athletes on the field it's been that way for the coaching staffs that have had to deal with the stress Um, obviously, they get paid to deal with that stress way better than the athletes do. So, you know, but even when you get paid, you still have to deal with the stress. I know I had to deal with it, you know, going to campus to teach three times a week last fall term. So, uh, you know, I, I know exactly what universities were having to go through and you know, I'm right there with you. I don't know what 2021 is going to look like yet as, you know, we're starting to look at way too early projections. We're starting to look at all of these sort of what if scenarios. Right now, everything that's out there, you know, you go and look at a team's schedule and it looks, you know, like a schedule we'd always expect to see. And hopefully things actually get to play out that way. Um. So, you know again, I've harped on this so much, but stay vigilant um hopefully, you know we can continue to roll out vaccines as quickly as possible to the communities and to the populations that need the most until we've got this thing beat because if we do stay vigilant and we do proactively you know take those steps we need. And we're able to get these vaccines on schedule to people. We could have a regular 2021 college football season. This could be beat. We've seen this happen in other countries around the world where, you know, stadiums are full. Life is pretty close to normal. I mean, you look at Pacific Islands like New Zealand or, you know, even Taiwan, you know, Korea, they started figuring this out and nothing's perfect. We're gonna need to continue to be vigilant, but we could have normal football left next year. Um, we could be at a place where by the, that time, state legislatures have passed NIL rights for players that start to give them a better footing to use the voices that we started to see spring forward in mass last summer. Uh, You know, by next summer, maybe we'll get to, you know, they'll be at a point where they can really start to grab a place at the table. Because I love college football. As, As much as this season pained me that it was even happening, I love college football. And I wanted to return back to normal. And I also wanted to return to a place where the players have agency. Because this is a sport in 1869 that was organized by those students who started playing the game. This was a sport that in its beginnings didn't have coaches. It didn't have a bunch of these trappings. You didn't have elaborate athletic departments. You didn't have waterfalls in your locker room and, a, you know, a mini golf course over here and a water slide over there. You just had students who were getting together for the love of, you know, physical exertion the love of cracking some skulls the love of you know beating up on one another and getting out some of those frustrations that come from academic life and i'd love to see players get to to take on a more active role in the way that college football was ultimately structured so hopefully by next summer we start to see that ball rolling with name, image, and likeness rights. And by next season, players aren't just shunted off as second-class citizens to do as they're told. When that happens, I'm going to be the happiest college football fan on the damn planet, whether or not any of my teams ever win a national championship. Any final thoughts you want to throw out there before we call it a night, John?
1: No, you know, I'm just glad that we were able to to finally finish the season and get through everything and really thankful for all of our listeners out there who have stuck by us in a really uh wild season of college football that hopefully we'll never have a repeat of
0: amen to that let's never have a repeat of this or at least in my lifetime you know i wrote about the 1918 season now we can write about the 2020 season 21-22, all you fans out there, I'm really sorry, because this is apparently an 102-year cycle. So, 21-22, get your asses in gear and start preparing for it now. You know, do better than we did this year. But on that note, 2020 is in the books, everybody. a Ele- You know, a couple weeks after the official new year, we are now officially... At the end of our 2020 college football year. So next week we'll be back with you to uh, move into the off season. But until then, thank you so much for tuning in. John, I hope your head feels great in the morning. And we will uh, be with you next Wednesday, everybody.